Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the Minnesota deer hunting opener and the opening of Prince's Paisley Park Museum. But first, MNN political reporter Bill Werner has an in-depth look at two hotly contested races in Minnesota's 2nd and 8th congressional districts. Scott, let's first take a look at the 8th Congressional District, which extends all the way from the tip of Minnesota's Arrowhead down through Duluth and over to the Iron Range and back down through north-central Minnesota all the way to the far northern edge of the Twin Cities metro area. This race is a rematch with Republican Stuart Mills of Mills Fleet Farm fame, again trying to beat Democrat Rick Nolan, who defeated Mills in 2014. The 8th is a split district politically, heavily leaning Democrat in the north and becoming more Republican as you move south. It's generally thought that to win re-election, Nolan will have to win big on the Iron Range and in Duluth and hold his own in the southern parts of the district, while Mills will have to do the reverse of that. And as almost always seems to be the case in Minnesota politics, the Iron Range has become a key player. With Democrats appealing to its strong labor base and Republicans wanting to turn it into a trump card, if you will, in this election. A key question, is the Iron Range economy turning around? Well, if it is improving, nobody's seeing it, says Mills. Certainly Congressman Nolan has held a number of rallies. He's brought some bigwigs in, but his job isn't to hold rallies uh, or to have events. His His job is to achieve outcomes. And the outcomes just are not there. Uh, just recently, we've had 500 more people that have received their warn notices at magnetation. Uh, those are people that will be receiving their pink slips shortly if they haven't already. Certainly, we've seen what the lack of demand for steel and steel-related products are has done to the SR Steel Project. And even the few miners that have been called back to work at Cliffs Natural are not a result of anything that Congressman Nolan has done or anything that's happened in the economy, but rather it's a result of the fact that Cliffs actually shut down another mine over in Michigan, and those jobs were merely transferred over to the Iron Range. So it's nothing more than rearranging deck chairs on the economy. Nolan responds Mills. He also um, said uh, that uh, bringing the president's chief of staff uh, up to the range uh, was a dog and pony show. Well, um, he, he better not tell that to the thousand uh, workers that have been uh, put back to work as a result of the work that I was able to do with the administration in securing uh, higher tariffs um, on uh, cheap, subsidized uh, Chinese steel and or the $65 million in uh, investments that uh, are flowing into new taconite te- uh, technology as a result of, of the work that I've done. And if he wants to talk to the president, chief executive of the largest mining companies up there, they'll, they'll tell them the work that I've done. And if he wants to talk to the steel workers and the trade unions, they'll tell them the, 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 the work that I've done. There's no dog and pony show. It's real hard work that's produced real good uh, results and got a 1,000 miners back to work. We're seeing an increase in taconite prices. We're seeing uh, an increase in U.S. steel uh, capacity. And uh, those tariffs are in place for at least the next five years, and things are going to continue to get better. And before we're done, uh, we're going to have all the miners back to work. And then there's mining, an issue that draws sharp divisions between northern Minnesota and the big political power base in the Twin Cities metro area. 
Mills says about polymet and twin metals. Certainly when uh, Congressman Nolan takes uh, the Dayton administration to task on the eastern end of the the Iron Range, but yet he goes to the western end of the Iron Range and holds a press conference sitting right next to Mark Dayton, uh, his condemnation of Mark Dayton is about razor thin to the point of being non-existent. Uh, Furthermore, we can see what has happened with Twin Metals, which is a uh, very similar project to uh, Polymet in which Governor Dayton, his good friend, has voided the state mineral leases. And Congressman Nolan said that the Secretary of Interior, Secretary Jewell, would check with him before the federal government did anything uh, in regards to pulling the federal mineral leases. But yet Twin Metals has had to file a preemptive lawsuit in federal court against the Interior Department. So Congressman Nolan has been altogether ineffective when it comes to making sure that at least, at a minimum, Twin Metals gets a fair hearing. Nolan responds. Call uh, John Sherry, the the president of uh, PolyMet. They'll tell you that nobody has done more uh, than yours truly in uh, shepherding uh, the process through. Uh, to uh, get through with all the environmental and related approvals. There's better part of a dozen agencies involved in that, and they had been, um, quite frankly, dilly-dallying along for about 10 years. And uh, one of the first things I did was to um, get them all together in the same room or on the same phone every month and uh, make sure they're all working in tandem and in parallel and not holding one another up. And uh, so... We've uh, we've just about wrapped up uh, the entire uh, federal process, and you'll see uh, PolyMed in a matter of weeks uh, submitting their permit to mine. And, you know, the same way with, uh, you know, Twin Metals. I've been working hard to help uh, facilitate that. Only recently they decided to hold hearings in Duluth. They said they wanted to have one in Duluth to make it convenient, convenient for the people in the Twin Cities, which is fine. But how about holding it uh, up in Ely where the people are by affected by it, and the Forest Service rejected that. And I got on the phone, I called the Assistant Secretary of Agriculture in charge of forestry and reminded him that he has 32,000 employees and that he has 3,000 of them here in Minnesota. And there's no excuse whatsoever for not being able to find uh, uh, two or three of them to go up to Ely and conduct a hearing. And uh, he uh, uh, immediately said, uh, you know, uh, uh, Congressman Nolan, there will be a hearing in Ely. As for Donald Trump's influence in the race for U.S. House in the 8th Congressional District, Nolan says... I think uh, Trump's message on these bad trade deals uh, does resonate with people, not only uh, on the Iron Range, because they've been victims of these bad trade deals, particularly with the illegal uh, steel dumping. But I I, I tell you what, I've been pleased to see there are a lot of signs uh, around the district with uh, Clinton Nolan in the yard and Trump Nolan in the yard. And Mills says, I'm not here to apologize for Donald Trump or excuse his language. When you ask me the question, um, why do I, as an individual and as a candidate, support Donald Trump? I signed on to support the nominee of our party. And at the end of the day, when everything is said and done, is that Hillary Clinton's conduct is much more egregious than Donald Trump's words. Next, we will take a look at the second congressional district race, another hot one in Minnesota, that right after this. Technology moves at the speed of innovation, and today, that's lightning fast. 
So when you get your hands on the latest tech, don't forget to do the right thing with your old devices. Recycle them. The Consumer Electronics Association and its members are making recycling your old tech device as easy as purchasing new ones. Just go to greenergadgets.org, type in your zip code, and you'll instantly find the responsible recycling location closest to your home. You'll also find lots of tips to simplify your recycling, like asking the store where you buy your new TV if they'll haul away your old one. Television sets, video game consoles, smartphones, tablets, they're all recyclable. Don't let them clog up your local landfill. Just visit greenergadgets.org. You're sharp enough to get the latest tech tools into your home. Now be responsible enough to get your old devices to the recycler. That's greenergadgets.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Continuing now with our brief profiles of key U.S. House contests in Minnesota, here's Bill Werner with more on the second congressional district race. Scott, it is a wide-open contest in the second, which extends from the southeast suburbs of the Twin Cities down through Goodhue and Wabasha counties and also picks up a part of Rice County. Longtime Republican Congressman John Klein is not running for re-election. Republicans' candidate is well-known conservative and radio talk show host Jason Lewis. Democrats' candidate is Angie Craig, who was an executive with St. Jude Medical for a number of years. I really want to go to Washington because I think we need more people there who come from the private business background and know how to deliver results for the middle class. You're, if you don't mind me saying so, an interesting hybrid in the sense that you are a, uh, a person with a business background that is running as a Democrat. Uh, and, 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 you know, and, and forgive me for saying so, but off, but but the, the the Republican mantra is less regulation, lower business taxes, uh, and that's going to create jobs. Uh, do you agree with that or not? And if so, how are you different uh, uh, from their own particular approach to uh, creating jobs? Well, I, I um, so I do think that lower corporate taxes are something that we need to look at in this country as the you know third highest uh, global economy in terms of our tax rate. It's uh, we've got $2.2 trillion trapped overseas that I'd love to see us bring back. Now, um, maybe uh, what I want to do with it is a little bit different uh, from uh, some others, because I'd love to see us take this foreign income that's trapped overseas, bring it back and invest it in America, in infrastructures. Let's create a capital infrastructure program for roads, highways, bridges, rural broadband. On the other hand, I think, um, you know, we need to ensure that uh, you know, there's a federal minimum wage that makes sense for uh, our workers, uh, that uh, we need to ensure that, um, you know, when we're investing, that there's always uh, something in it for the middle class or, it, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not worth doing. Republican candidate Jason Lewis says... My opponent supports some, some tax changes for corporations, but only with strings attached. For instance, I think we ought to remove the highest corporate tax rate in the world and allow companies that are, you know, they've got $1 trillion, $2 trillion overseas to repatriate those profits back in the United States without having to pay, to pay taxes twice, once overseas and once here in America. But my opponent in the race says, okay, they can do that, but only if they invest in the right sort of stimulus plan projects. And you've got all these strings. No, I believe that they ought to invest in their businesses back home and let this economic tide or rising tide um, or, you know, lead us to a resurgent economy. And, and another thing that's really important, though, as you well know, the real economic engine is small to medium-sized business. And many of those, if not the majority, are pass-through businesses that, that, 
are not C-Corps. They pay their taxes on their 1040s. That is the personal income tax rate of what she actually wants to add some brackets to raise taxes as sort of a promise to the progressive caucus that endorsed her. I vehemently disagree with that. That's where you need the real tax relief, and I'm looking for a flatter, fairer tax for personal income taxes, which affects um, uh, uh, billions of dollars in business income. Now, you support a flat tax, is that right? I want to get the tax code or move the tax code to a flatter, fairer tax instead of an exorbitantly high tax with numerous brackets that some people can get out from underpaying, which leaves more for the rest of us. What that means is that the super wealthy are going to get major tax cuts and the middle class is going to suffer because uh, mortgage interest deductions, charitable contribution deductions would all but disappear. The people at the top are already getting the special favors. And no one knows more about that than my opponent. She lobbied and dished out over $700,000 when she was chair of the, of the industry PAC that got Obamacare to Minnesota. I would argue that no one in the 2nd District was more influential in bringing Obamacare to Minnesota than Angie Craig. As for the presidential race, Craig says about her opponent, Jason has spent 25 years of his career uh, promoting partisan politics uh, and in my mind, really leading to the rise of groups like uh, the Tea Party. And frankly, uh, right-wing radio has led to the rise of Donald Trump. You never agree with anyone 100 percent. And, and uh, I think Donald Trump is crude at times. No question about it. But Hillary Clinton is corrupt. And now, Scott, on to the election. On to the election, indeed. Thank you very much for that report, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. Sometimes a simple idea can be developed into something big that can change the world. This is Katy Perry. In fourth grade, my music teacher helped me make a vision board. It was a collage that represented all of my hopes and aspirations in music. But what if my teacher didn't have the supplies we needed to make our collages? What if I never got the chance to learn and express my dreams? Unfortunately, that's the reality our teachers face every day. They're forced to spend their own money, sometimes just to keep the classroom running. That's why I'm teaming up again with Staples for Students to donate $1 million to DonorsChoose.org, a charity that helps teachers get what they need to bring learning to life for students. DonorsChoose.org has helped fulfill more than 700,000 classroom projects, benefiting more than 18 million students. It's an idea that's changing the world. It's easy to help. Donate in Staples stores or learn more at staplesforstudents.org. Son, uh, can you hand me that big screwdriver? This one, Dad? Uh, no, that's a wrench. Uh, I need the long one close to your foot. Why? Uh, because I need to loosen a screw. Why? Because I have to change the oil filter. Why? I love you! <laughs> the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Alright. Now pass me the new filter. Why? Haha, very funny. <laughs> Take time to be a dad today. For more information, dial 1-877-432-3411 or visit us at www.fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A blaze of orange will blanket the state over the next couple of weeks as thousands of people take part in the firearms deer hunting season. MN's Tasha Radel has more on this year's hunt. Thanks, Scott. The firearms deer hunting season has been dubbed the Orange Christmas for Hunters. Joining me now to break down the 2016 season is Adam Murkowski, the Big Game Program Leader for the Minnesota DNR. Can you give us any idea of how many people will take part in this year's hunt? We know that over half a million deer hunters go afield during our firearms seasons and that the population has been growing due to some mild winters and some conservative harvest regulations. So that should mean hunters will likely see more deer and also have some slightly increased harvest opportunities. With that said, the state's acorn crop has almost completely failed due to a late frost um, coupled with a bust, being in a bust year of that cycle. And so deer are gonna be moving more because they have to eat more of that grassy vegetation to kind of make up for those carbohydrates that you find in acorns. So it should work out for hunters, but they're going to need to scout and they're going to need to remain adaptive in order to uh, figure out where the deer are because it's going to be different out there than it, it was last year. And, you know, when it comes to firearm safety, any recommendations uh, that, that you want to get across this year? Yeah, and we want to stress that you know, hunting is one of the safest um, sports that you can partake in, second um, safest only to camping. And so it's important that, you know, folks continue to do things to ensure that that they, you know, are having a safe experience and, you know, always treat every firearm as if it's loaded. Uh, make sure that you know your target and what's beyond it. And, you know, um, I'm assuming with all with a half a million hunters going to be taking part that this is pretty big business economically for Minnesota. I, am I right behind that? Yeah, deer hunting alone brings in $236 million in retail spending. They support 55,000 jobs in Minnesota, many of them in rural areas, um, which has a cumulative $1.6 billion impact on Minnesota's economy. And not just hunting, but fishing, hunting, and wildlife viewing generates $4.3 billion a year. And Minnesota is very fortunate to have one of the strongest and highest rates of outdoor participation of any state in the nation. And that's great because folks are engaged in the outdoors, not just in hunting, but in other ways. And that's really the kind of builds the conservation ethic and the mindset that supports broad conservation efforts, things like the legacy amendment that are supported not just by hunters, but the broad public. So I think it's um, it's a tremendous impact. And hunting licenses and stamp sales, along with federal match, um, Pittman-Robertson monies, which is a self-imposed tax on hunting equipment, you know, support 96% of the DNR's wildlife budget. And these license sales are critical for not just deer management, but all wildlife and, and land management in the state. The last question I had, you kind of hit on this a little bit, that um, hunting is, is has such strong tradition for a number of families across the state, and a lot of people really look forward to this weekend. Yeah, Minnesota is, a, a, you know, and deer hunting in Minnesota is a tremendous um, social tradition. And when we talk to hunters, we know that harvesting a deer isn't, the most important part of their experience. It's getting outside, it's being out in nature, seeing friends that you haven't, and those social 
aspects to it are what really drive people to go back year after year. And, and from a, a hunting standpoint, if you are harvesting a deer and in order to harvest a deer, you have to have a good understanding of the land, how animals are using the land. And there's no greater connection you can have to the land than to have it sustain you. And so, you know, deer camp really is folks go to deer camp and it rekindles that fire in their belly, if you will, that makes hunters some of the most staunch conservationists and environmentalists um, throughout the rest of the year. And so we encourage everyone to, to go out and have a good time and, and really, um, you know, enjoy the experience of being outside and, and um, doing that with some folks that you may not get to see very often. Adam, I've fibbed. I do have one more question. Um, I know we're about out of time, but I wanted to ask you, I understand Minnesota uh, is really being active when it comes to deer management. Can you tell me a little bit about that before we go? So Minnesota is embarking on the process of writing the state's first ever deer management plan. And one thing we want to emphasize to folks is that if you don't generally think you have uh, a place in engaging in conversations about deer and deer management, is that this deer plan is really something that you should care about. Deer are found in every county in Minnesota. Um, They're found in a variety of habitats, and they impact people, and people have such varied experiences with deer that this deer management plan is really an opportunity to talk about our vision for deer going forward. For more information on the 2016 firearms deer season, you can head to the DNR's website. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up, just like that. Giving up on what? On getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. We are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Prince's Paisley Park Museum is now open to the public for tours. I recently chatted with Paisley Park archivist Angie Marchese about her role in the museum's opening, Prince's involvement in the process before his untimely death in April, and what fans can expect from the tours. It's really it's a, it's really quite an amazing place because Prince already really had in mind the concept of turning Paisley into a museum for his fans to come visit prior to his passing. Uh, this dates back to the early to mid-2000s. We've, we went by emails and correspondence from him about his wishes. We saw a lot of rooms he had already completed. All we needed to do was add the artifacts to those displays. Uh, for example, he had some offices on the main floor that he had wallpapered with graphics from different albums. Um, One of them was Diamonds and Pearls. Um, 
the office itself was empty, but the wall graphics were already there. So all we had to do was go through the massive wardrobe collection that was left and figure out which items we were going to display that represented that album or that tour or that time period. Um, so he really made the work easy for us. Um, so far, we've cataloged over 7,000 pieces of wardrobe alone. Um, we're currently um, continuing to catalog the wardrobe collection as well as everything in the building that uh, was left. And tell me, what are some of the most interesting items, in your opinion, that are available to be seen at the museum? My favorite piece that's on display and the piece that I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm actually looking at it, is the Horner. Uh, I mean, this guitar literally has created so much music. And if you could just imagine, if he played that that guitar in the beginning. He played it in 19, on the 1999 tour. He played it, you know, on the Purple Rain tour. He played it at the Super Bowl. I mean, the guitar has, it was like his best friend, his right arm, and it's what created the sound and uh, what the instrument he used to create this legacy of his. And so that's probably my favorite piece when I was absolutely able to find it in the instrument room. It was like, that's the one guitar that we had to have on display because that is the guitar. You said that Prince was intimately involved in, in the process here and, and had somewhat of a vision for it. For for our listeners out there that want to get a sense of that, what what was his vision, if you could describe it? He really wanted to give his visitors and his fans a chance to come through Paisley and feel all of the excitement he felt at Paisley, the creativity, the uh, feeling of being able to be whoever you wanted to be there and to be able to do whatever you wanted to do there, that anything was possible, that no dream was too small, no dream was too big, anything can happen at Paisley Park. And he wanted to celebrate that spirit through his accomplishments. Um, there is a hallway at Paisley that he designed that... Um, nicknamed the Purple Tunnel during his lifetime. Now it's kind of a history hallway because he put up a timeline, um, basically a photographic timeline of different periods, uh, different iconic periods of his career. And then on the opposite wall are his awards, like his Grammys and his um, Brit Awards. And so it really kind of walks you through just through the photographs he put up, his career and what he went through, and then his accomplishments. It really kind of sums up, you know, what his image of Paisley was and what Paisley allowed him to do. Angie, if I'm not mistaken, I'm calling you here at Graceland. So uh, yes, you are. <laughs> I'm, I'm making an assumption that you are also uh, heavily involved in, in Graceland and Elvis's uh, residence. Are, are there similarities between the two or, or differences that stand out to you that are, that are interesting? There are. I actually am the director of the archives at Graceland as well, so I oversee the entire collection here, including doing all the exhibits and the stuff that's on display. Um, the two big differences about Graceland and Paisley is Graceland is, you know, you walk in and it's a home. It's where Elvis lived. Paisley is a place not only where Prince lived, but it's where he was able to create his music and he was able to work 
and do everything he wanted to do under one roof. It was, if it was filming a movie or if it was, you know, laying tracks at midnight, he could do that in this one building. Where Graceland is simply, you know, Elvis would have to go to Hollywood to film movies or go to Nashville to record music. He only recorded at Graceland once, but it was a makeshift studio. So Graceland was really a place where Elvis lived, where Paisley was not only a place that Prince lived and called home, it was also a place that he could create his music. You know, just like Elvis, Prince belonged to the world, but of course uh, Elvis and Graceland are heavily associated with with Memphis and Prince also Mm -hmm. associated with Minnesota. Is there anything other than geographic location that's uh, particularly um, special to Minnesota in terms of this museum and what folks can see there? You know, the the really great thing about Paisley and about Prince and his love for Minnesota is that Minnesota was not just a place where he was born. It's a place where he chose to live and where he chose to stay, um, just like Elvis chose to stay in Memphis. They could move and live wherever and had multiple houses um, in various locations, but home was always Minnesota for Prince. That's where he felt more comf- most comfortable, and those were the people who he chose to be around. He wanted to be around his, the, his fellow Minnesotanians that he grew up with, and he wanted to go to the places that meant something to him. He wanted to be somewhere where he was just the guy next door, not having to be the legendary prince, that he was just the neighbor riding the bike down the street. And that's what Minnesota meant to him. Kind of like the same thing with Memphis, what Memphis meant to Elvis. So being um, in Minnesota and knowing that it meant so much to him, it's really kind of a, um, a fulfillment of a dream and kind of a, it's really an honor to be able to be involved in the project. Thanks to my fascinating guest, Angie Marchese. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.